Imagine yourself under a starry sky around the warm glow of the sacred fire. As your hosts, Saren Odinson, Jim Two Snakes, and Caitlin Stormbreaker, talk about shamanism, animism, books, science, psychology, pop culture, and more. Welcome to a show inspired by those late-night conversations by real-life spiritual practitioners. Won't you come and join us around Grandfather Fire? As the winter winds die down and the cold becomes soft rain, we feel the reaches of spring. The days grow longer, the temperatures grow warmer, and we start to feel our fingers itching to feel the dirt. We want to plant those seeds and we're getting excited, we're getting ready, but not yet. Pull those reins in just a little bit, gather your seeds, find the right ones for this year. Lay them out before you and let them hear this prayer. Oh, little seeds to be buried in the ground, to gather up the moisture from the snow that melted down. Soon you will grow first little and weak, but you'll find the nutrients needed to grow into something pretty darn neat. You will grow up and bear some beautiful fruit, whether your traditional seeds that will bring us tomatoes, cucumbers, or even durian fruit, or maybe the more metaphorical seeds, the ones we plant within, the things that we wish to see grow and begin. So either way, find those seeds and bring them forth because now it's time to prep for the difficult work will come forth. Welcome everybody to another episode of Around Grandfather Fire. You're listening to episode number 87. I am Jim Two Snakes, joined as always by my good friends and co-hosts, Saren Thornton and Caitlin Stormbreaker. How are you both doing tonight? Doing pretty good. I'm actually not in this episode. <laughs> That's right. Um, everybody, tonight we, we were going to be recording an episode with Natalie of Vervain and Bones, but the Natalie had to reschedule. So we're going to be bringing you an interview that Sarah and I recorded. That's Awen Dawn of uh, the author of the book, uh, Paganism for Prisoners, Connecting to the Magic Within, which was actually a really fantastic it interview really that I, I think you guys are going to like. There's a ton of information in there. And uh, so I think you're all going to like that a lot. Um, for Natalie, uh, Vervain and Bones, we're going to be rescheduling for a future date, but 
Natalie's got an upcoming conference that I'd like to point everybody towards. It's the Magic Under the Moon Spring Digital Retreat, and you can find information on that on vervainandbones.com. And Natalie's really exciting and, and is an awesome guest because the emphasis for them is on deconstructing witchcraft and getting rid of colonialism and rooting these things out of your craft. So I I encourage you to go check out that retreat and then we'll have Natalie on for a future interview. But so, yeah, it's a little bit of a juggle in our schedule, but it's all going to work out. It always does. Yeah. Nothing we haven't done before. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. So both of you are doing well then. I am. I am. Uh, we're trying a couple of new things. Uh, me, including butchering my hands. Um, <laughs> so since we moved into the new place, we're trying a lot of different recipes out. Uh, Time to Eat by uh, Nadia. Uh, I used to know her last name and my brain just dropped it again. But Time to Eat uh, is an excellent Netflix series that has a cookbook attached to it or vice versa. Uh, excellent cookbook. We've done a lot of meal preps. Uh, my blood sugars are finally under control. Uh, so we're doing stuff like uh, tonight. My uh, wife, Silverleaf, is making lamb dinosk, and I'm really looking forward to it, especially since I cut the hell out of both my forefinger and my <laughs> thumb, getting the poor lamb uh, shoulder cubed up. And she's going to be uh, tonight. We uh, put all the bones into a, uh, we call it crock pot. And we're going to be making stock out of the lamb. And then tomorrow we're going to be rendering all the fat from the shoulder piece. Cause it was like a butcher piece. So it's got all the fat cap on it and everything. So, and uh, Silverly's been watching Miranda Rosenberg on TikTok, So she's all inspired to, to do her own rendering now. Like you can, you can butcher it, but I'll render it. <laughs> <laughs> so that's, that's been my job is uh, doing that and, uh, also took some time out today. We went to uh, reclaimed Michigan and Waterford township and got a bunch of pine knob for like a buck for a continuous square foot. And so we're going to be putting together raised garden beds with tug and groove flooring. Uh, Cause oh, wow. there's not been, it's not been chemically treated. Yeah. What a fantastic idea. So we won't have to like staple these together or anything. We'll just stack them on top of each other, like a bunch of Lego pieces and then screw the ends in. And, uh, We'll do what's called the uh, sandwich method for composting. So we'll have a bottom layer of um, after we put the uh, the netting on because we we don't want to feed the moles. Uh, we're going to put like quarter inch wire down and attach it to the bottom of the uh, the piece, and then it'll be a four foot uh, rectangle that we're going to fill with uh, all this cardboard we've got in our garage from the move. Oh yeah, then- yeah we're going to throw down a deadfall from uh, this last winter and then fill all that in with a mix of, of organic topsoil and other components, as well as all the uh, compost we've accumulated up to this point and just dump it all in together, mix oh, it really up. Cool. And it's going to be like half a hoogle bed in terms of how it operates and everything inside of it's going to break down. So 
It'll be That's cool. so helpful. I'm so looking forward to this. The, the, I want to do more planning this year myself, but I just, time is such a hard thing that I think I'm going to have to minimize my plans and just take it down to a few items. Cause I just don't just the, the thought of trying to keep up with weeding and watering and stuff, given my already crazy schedule. I just not sure how I'd do it. That's part of why we, we're doing a raised bed and we're only building one per year at this point because mm-hmm. my folks built I think I've talked about on the show where we built like six in a row and it was like, Oh my God, (laughs) too much. So we're doing like one a year and we'll see how we do with this. How about you storm? How are you doing? Um, well, actually this is uh, a good opportunity to kind of explain why I'm not actually on the episode. Um, that morning I had found out that a good friend of mine's mother had passed away. And so I took some time to myself and that really kind of ripped open a lot of really old wounds because it was my friend, Lisa, who passed away four years ago. It was her mother who died. So it was kind of like this whole snowball effect of I'm watching myself from like the watcher point of view in the Buddhist philosophy, if um, you understand that terminology, I literally watched my myself just leapfrog right into disassociation. And I'm like, Oh, that's, that's neat. So now I'm two people. The one that's driving this lifeless fucking body around way back here. Like I feel, I felt like I was playing Mario Kart with my body basically. Like I'm sitting on the couch piloting this body and telling it what to do but still like back here going like nope uh-uh, not dealing with that not right now and then freya walked over and did like the whole freya thing you know hip cocked toe tapping arms crossed and then just looked at me and goes get off your ass go deal with it you know how and so i did I'm not totally better. I don't think I'll ever totally be better. It was definitely a gut punch. Um, but it was an interesting lesson. I'll, I'll put it that way. Mm-hmm. And, and through all of that, while I did take a few days off of what I'm currently working on, um, and I don't know if I mentioned this earlier or not, but I, I've put in the my original book that I was working on, I've put that one down for the time being, and I'll probably leave that one lie for quite a while because I I worked on that one for over a year and just like dug away at it as much as I could. And it just wasn't working. It wasn't going where I wanted it to go. And it was just, it was too hard for me. So I said, you know what, you're going to go sit in the corner and that's going to be your life for right now. You're just going to go rest. And so I started working on my zombie book because you both know my weird affinity for zombies and how it's always just kind of like circled around and been a part of me and my path and everything. And I have come up with a really neat sort of dumb idea where it's half of a comic book and half of a novel. And so it has like different pictures interplaced within it. And mind you, I I am a shitty drawer, but I can get enough of the illustration in to get a point across. And I'm it's so much fun and I'm having such a blast. And it it's it's interesting because it's kind of a love letter to myself 
because I love zombie movies and I love zombie TV shows and zombie books and all that stuff, mostly because they're the only monster in the world that terrifies the daylights out of me consistently, no matter how often or how much I watch it, I'm always terrified of them. (laughs) And so I'm putting all of the things in this work of art that I felt was missing from all of those zombie movies and all the things that bothered me about them is going in here because it was missing from those. And so we'll see how it it turns out. And you're writing a book with the attempt to scare the piss out of yourself. No, I'm focusing (laughs) less on the zombies. They're more of like an inconvenience. Okay. To them. (laughs) I mean, obviously, there's going to be obstacles where they're going to show up to an area and then, oh, no, there's zombies. We got to get out and run kind of thing. But it's it's more about the relationships that are developed between people in this sort of setting and the kind of um, challenges mentally that they would have to go through. And I think we've all kind of realized how we would survive an apocalypse at this point, you know, having to be isolated either with yourself or with just a very few select amount of people determined that a lot of people wouldn't survive the apocalypse. That is what I determined. But I mean, that's, that's a fair point. I mean, but, you know, we but, have Jim, all- what about the zombies right to eat? <laughs> well, I'm actually, when she says zombies are a, a minor inconvenience, my brain, you know how my brain goes, it's zombies. And they're selling Amway. (laughs) (laughs) Well, so I've taken to calling, uh, well, they have been taken to calling the zombies uh, their neighbors. Oh, the neighbors are being loud again. Sure, sure. So, and it's kind of like, they're almost disassociating from the fact of like, yeah, okay, there are these terrifying flesh eating monsters out there, but the way they're dealing with that is through like a bit of humor like, oh, the neighbors are being loud again. Or, oh, look, <laughs> there's Jim and Nancy going at it on the lawn again, you know? <laughs> Couldn't they just get a room? And I feel like that's how I would have to deal with the zombie apocalypse. Because holy fucking shit, that would suck. And I would just be super sarcastic and try to have, like, the worst humor in the world just to get over the fact that everybody is dead. Yeah, gallows gallows humor has its place. Right. I wanted to work with my ancestors, but this is completely fucked. (laughs) This is is not what I meant. No, 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 no. Right. Uh, What about you, Jim? How? uh, What have you been working on recently? Um. Well, besides distracting the entire Discord with my weird thoughts about candles, uh, (laughs) um. Just, just, just going through the normal deal. Been doing a little bit more writing for my Patreon. Um, I, I just posted up for Patreon. My Patreon supporters, fifty-two spiritual prompts, uh, writing prompts, so that way you could have an entire year's worth of these weird little prompts to to add to your journal. Um, just other than that, work, working, and and trying to get by, trying not to be too depressed at world events the usual for the last you know two and a half years i guess i get that you know it's like what are you gonna do right i mean it's like this is a oh look all this stuff's out of my hand oh look they're shelling a nuclear power plant this would be great 
Mm-hmm. Oh, look, <laughs> another dumpster is on fire. Exactly. Cool. Exactly. But, you know, I guess I guess not bad other than that. I've been um, digging into a couple more books on, on chaos magic. So uh, Sarah and I had a call the other day with some other friends. And so to give you a summary, because this made everybody laugh, the, the how my day tends to go. Lately, I've been addicted to, in, in the state of Michigan, they, they show court on television. I think I actually talk about that a little bit in this episode or on, on YouTube. And so I get up in the morning and I watch court proceedings of people getting sentenced. And then I go to work and deal with the public. And then I go to my other job where I'm cleaning up after privileged kids while listening to podcasts about murder. And then on my way home at night, I listen to more podcasts. I get home and read about chaos magic, a little bit about a fantasy novel, and then and then do it again. And it's amazing that my brain is in any semblance of order whatsoever. I think if you didn't do those things, your brain would be out of order. <laughs> it's just kind of, you know. I get it. I do. Yeah. No, I but get it. The, 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 the court proceedings I've been listening to, there's, turns out in the state of Michigan, so a lot of the courts that meets their Open Meetings Act, they broadcast it on YouTube. And there's a couple of judges that are just amazing. You know, a couple of them over in the Detroit area that are just so sarcastic. It's just amazing how they drip sarcasm. And then this other judge that's in the town of Centerville here in Michigan, and uh, he's just Mr. Small Town Judge, and he knows everybody and it's one of those things like you're before him because you got a speeding ticket and he knows right where you got he looks at the ticket knows right where you got tagged well why'd you where were you speeding through there everybody knows that's where the cop sits like he knows everybody (laughs) who's whose daughter are you francis oh yeah i know we went to high school and then and that's such and such and i knew your uncle and i mean he's like one of those judges and it's just hilarious to watch (laughs) it's just amazing yeah, it's like borderline wholesome, but also I'm not mad. I'm just disappointed. It is. I swear. <laughs> I think some of those people are just like more ashamed that he's been talking mm-hmm. to. Oh, you knew my grandmother and you've seen what I'm doing. This is really awful. I think, I think honestly, that's half of it sometimes because he is really fair to people. That's the other thing that I've been getting from watching a lot of these court cases. Like, I admit I have a bias against, um, police officers to be frank and and certain aspects of our legal system but it's nice to be able to watch individual judges Mm -hmm. doing their best with a screwed up system and even getting to know through these proceedings you get to know the prosecutors a little bit more and just like we have our zoom calls here and we banter a little bit back and forth before the episodes you can catch them on their zoom calls bantering before the cases and they're never discussing the cases but you really get a feeling of where they feel their job is within the legal system and what they're doing so i don't know just kind of fascinating why i've gone down that rabbit hole I don't know. I assure you six months from now, I'll probably not be watching a single thing because that's just, that's the other part of how my brain works. Like I'm obsessed with it this month. And then (laughs) (laughs) that's, so that's something I've been kind of unpacking recently. And there are moments when I have almost a bitterness 
to me when I, I think about other people and how they're like, oh yeah, I, ha- I had this, I have this one passion and I stuck to it and I got like super good at it. Like, like the people that are super good at drawing, like they can just draw a person in a half an hour and it looks immaculate. And it's like, <laughs> how the fuck did <laughs> you do that? How'd you and stay then, focused for more than two days? And then they tag it with, oh, this was a warm up, And I'm like, Fucking Fuck seriously? <laughs> what? But no, my thing is like I can more. I can stick with something for several weeks at the most. And then after that, it just falls away. And people are like, oh, you just gotta muscle through that. It's just writer's or not writer's block, because that's the only thing that I have never really lost that that hook in. But like other things I like doing, painting, drawing, uh, gardening actually doing yoga on a regular basis these are all things that i enjoy but i can't do them every day or even like once a week for my whole life like what the fuck is wrong with my brain you're not giving yourself enough credit and probably we're not giving ourselves enough credit because you need to think about certain things because um let's talk about spirituality no matter how many times all three of us have said, fuck it, I'm done with this shit or got bored with it or whatever. <laughs> Here we still are still doing this stuff. So there are a few things that we've stuck with. I mean, that's that. fair, but it, it's still frustrating. I yeah, wish I it could is just like, be like, hey, I like this passion. I'm going to work at it until I'm really good at it. Like, I don't even want to be perfect at it. I just, just want like, to I wish I could replace it. 80 song lyrics in my head with something valuable. No, it doesn't, it doesn't <laughs> always work that way. Or uh, one of the pirates movies, almost word <laughs> yeah, for right. word. Like, I don't need that script in my brain anymore. Okay. Are we sure? <laughs> I could get rid of the entire catalog of Gabby's dollhouse songs and I'd be okay. With <laughs> I'm sure that's worth something on the memory market <laughs> because hearing kitty rangers in my head again <laughs> kitty rangers woo, meow, meow 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 on loop <laughs> i'm done man yeah ladies and gentlemen this is how serial killers are born <laughs> not what jim said earlier but what saren just experienced right exactly <sighs> Oh man. But you know, honest, I <laughs> sometimes, you know, those those loops really can help because I'll I'll have something really frustrating happen, like getting cut off in traffic or something, and I can cue up one of those songs in my head and Kitty Rangers, woo! And oh it's really hard to stay angry when <laughs> when you're singing meow yeah, meow, yeah. meow 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 to yourself. Right? Meow right? meow meow. That or my daughter's broken me. It's one of the two. Combine that with projecting some energy and there's a banishing that no demon could possibly stand up to. Feels <laughs> yes. him up going, stop, just stop. stop. <laughs> I approve. Yes, my my kitty <laughs> ranger spirit summoning spell. <laughs> I I so I, I want to drop a theory on you guys. I I don't think hell is like it's probably definitely a place because let's face it at this point there's been eons worth of people believing in its existence so I'm sure it probably exists at some point like come on (laughs) but there is no demon 
who can torture a human worse than that human can torture themselves. Like humans are not creative. They get all their ideas from the human themselves and they're, they, they dig into those little shadows and pull them out like, Oh, okay. So you're really good at self-depreciation, but instead of like saying negative things to you, let's just throw positive shit at you all day. See how you handle it. (laughs) I think hell I pictured the, uh, the manager from that movie office space. Oh, kind of going to need you to come in this weekend and burn. <laughs> that would be great. Yeah. Oh, that would God. Be <laughs> or every time you smash the printer, it just shows up the next day. It just shows up. <laughs> the printer from Greek mythology, you smash it in the next day. It's back and won't print. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yep. Or the bird uh, wow. pecking out the liver. Ah, uh, so horrified our listeners now. <laughs> no. no. <laughs> <laughs> I, I have to say, I have I, more faith in our listeners. <laughs> I, I appreciate the amount of time that our our guest took to explain the process, because, like, uh, speaking of hell. Um, I think that a lot of the aspects of our, our prison system uh, very much directly mimic, and I don't think it's an accident, uh, mm-hmm. Western American conceptions of what hell is supposed to be like, because the system is built around punitive rather than yeah, the ability. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's something we dig into in the episode, but um, kind of like yanking the train back. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Sarah. <laughs> it doesn't happen often. No, so, you know, <laughs> um, but I, I really appreciate the the depth in which our guest was willing to go because especially for for somebody that has been through the system that that's really a vulnerable thing yep. it's a lot to put yourself out on frustrate like that and like seriously kudos to her for doing that yep well thank you sarinth and i guess that's probably a good point we'll transition over to our interview with awendon and um Thank you. Thank you to all our listeners, as always. And um, Slava Ukraini. Slava Ukraini. Slava Ukraini. Off to our interview. We'll see you later. We are really excited for tonight's guest because there are certain topics that we've touched on before that are really important for the pagan community. And it's a very growing, very robust community. It's one of the largest and fastest growing communities in any sort of spirituality. And being that it's a large and growing population, that means that we all face challenges and difficulties. And sometimes those challenges are a little bit bigger than others. So we're really happy to be joined tonight by Awen Dawn, who is the author of Paganism for Prisoners and a really exciting upcoming book, Paganism on Parole. Thanks for joining us. Welcome to Around Grandfather Fire. Thank you so much for having me. It's so nice to meet you both. Yeah, we were looking forward to this because, um, like I said, this is a topic we've touched on before with uh, uh, at least one other guest that I I can think of off the top of my head. And um, it's just so important, um, as we were mentioning briefly before we started recording, there's, there's 
religion and spirituality are such a large part of what helps people to grow and to, uh, you know, come out and kind of reenter society and, and, and become thriving people. And so this is such an important topic. Yeah. Th- thank you. Um, I agree. Like for me, paganism was the thing that saved my life. When, when I got out of prison, I immediately found um, a group and made it through a year and a day course. And it really gave me a stable foundation, you know, something to do besides the same old stupid stuff that got me locked up. So, um, and, and it, you know, like I love paganism because it provides that channel for growth, which I'm sure we'll talk more about later. But um, that's one of my favorite things about it is it's it's not enough to just be like, oops, my bad. You know, like yeah, it, it, there's really some accountability to it. Mm-hmm. And it's one of the things I love is that flexibility and that ownership of your own faith. Yeah, I have to say, I really appreciate you being willing to come right out and say, you know, yes, I was locked up. Yes. You know, this is what I what I'm about now because this is what helped me get through that period. I think that unfortunately there is a seriously horrible taint that is associated with being an ex um, uh, prisoner with being an ex uh, felon with being an ex, whatever. Formerly incarcerated. Formerly incarcerated. There we go. I like that. Yeah. Um, And I'm somebody that works with uh, sort of a prison population and it's uh it's really rough because getting people out of that mindset can be very hard. And one of the things I appreciate about the book that you've put together is that you're willing to address these issues head on and really break down how people can exist in that really rough space and come out even better for it. That's an amazing accomplishment. Thank you. I am. I mean, I, I kind of see it that way, but it's harder to see that when it's your own life. You're like, oh, it's just the thing I did, you know, um, but it really provided me the inspiration because um, I was like, if I can do it, you know, and I don't have like a felony. I have many felonies. And I love that you address the stigma because here's the thing, like I've been out of prison for nine years And I still, if I apply for a job, if I put in a rental application, if I apply for, like, there's so many things I have to be like, oh, yeah, no, I have felonies. And it, like, Mm. never goes away. You know, you can get your record sealed if you're able to pay thousands of dollars to have that happen. But there's such a stigma in society. And I, I think... I think it was the embrace of the pagan community that made me feel so welcome because when I got out of prison, I didn't feel like I belonged anywhere. You know, people had referred me to church groups, you know, and I'm like, yeah, I don't really want to go to that. Um, Nothing against people who go to church groups, you know, whatever, whatever helps get you through it. But it, it wasn't for me. And so I was really embarrassed when I got out of prison, like I didn't want to tell anybody. And like, I was working, you know, I was working retail. I think a lot of people with felonies end up in retail um, or other similar jobs. And, and like, I'm just, it really honors me that today I can say, look, I've written two books. I'm actually working on a third book, a book of spells and meditations for personal empowerment. And, 
uh, I'm a college graduate and I have certifications. And if I can do it, if I can change my life, there's no reason that anybody else can. And so even though like it's uncomfortable and I'm going to have my felonies with me forever, um, I'm actually really glad that I got to go through this process and heal. And I don't think um, many people get that opportunity. I, I think it's important that we let people know that it's a thing that can happen because nobody told me that. I had to figure that out. Yeah. Yeah. That, I mean, because I think the thing that's really interesting about paganism and witchcraft and some of the other spiritual traditions that all kind of we tie together in that, that spiritual bundle is that, you know, when you're talking about church groups, once again, nothing wrong with church groups, and that works really well for some people. But for some people, it can feel like you're just going to another group that's going to judge you that's, and that you're begging for forgiveness, where a lot of these spiritual paths, they offer the ability to do and create your own spells and rituals for you to change your life, which is very empowering. And I think that's an important part. Nobody, nobody made a choice. Nobody on career day in, in fourth grade was going, you know what I want to be. <laughs> so that means obviously there was something going on with your life that kind of, you know, and there's so many factors I can't even think about it, but that, you know, where something didn't work right. And so now you, you know, paganism or witchcraft can give you tools to heal and correct and, and make your life better, which I think is, is super important. Yeah. And I, I think on the grand karmic cycle, the cycle of living life after life after life, you know, we know one of the lessons of nature is you will keep repeating your mistakes until you learn from them. So why aren't we giving people the tools to learn from them? Yeah. And it, that's exactly what um, my intent was with both paganism for prisoners and paganism on parole. It was like, look, here's, here's some tools. Use them. Change your life. Get out of that hole, that DOC revolving door. Like the fact that most people who have been to prison go back to prison says that we as a society are failing people. Yup. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Our recidivism rate, our national recidivism rate is something like 77, 78%. Yeah. It's really yep. kind of a miracle that I didn't go back to prison. You know, I, I definitely think there was um, some higher power, the gods intervening on my behalf and making sure that I had the tools that I needed. And, you know, how I give that back is to help other people get these tools. So it's yeah, art. Oh, go ahead, brother. No, no. Well, actually, I was going to do a deep dive on a uh, question. So no, if you go for it. <laughs> <laughs> go Lock, for paper, it. scissors. So <laughs> something I'm curious about, because I, I will admit I have not read the book yet, but I found the blurb and everything, the uh, preview, everything really fascinating. Since paganism doesn't have a model of confession and forgiveness similar to Christianity, did you find it hard to transition once you got out? And if so, how did you end up um, transitioning? And I'm sure this is covered in the books, between the two books. But I'm curious because a lot of the prison system assumes a confessional Christian model of um, support once you're on the outs, 
Because like uh, like you mentioned earlier, the default is to set you know, the church group and then go from there. And I can't imagine that works too well for somebody <laughs> that's been pagan on the inside. So it, there's actually multiple parts to this because you have to remember I'm in substance use recovery too. But back before that, um, there was a lot of guilt and shame. And so going through a year and a day class, which my book is essentially, it's 13 lessons. So it is a year and a day class. Um, so going through a year and a day class where um, I got to work with elements and like sit with myself and practice meditation. Meditation was so huge because when I got out of prison, I couldn't sit in a room without noise. I, you know, TV, computer, laptop, radio, well, a book was going, I couldn't sit with myself. That was the most uncomfortable part about being in prison was those hours of lockdown when it was just me. And so by doing shadow work, which, um, which I started when I did my first year in a day course, um, by doing that shadow work and kind of realizing that we all have lessons, right? And Something I got told early on was people who have the toughest go of life have probably lived the most lives. You know, I'm a firm believer in reincarnation. So if it's your first visit to Earth, aren't you going to have like the, you know, celebrity, yacht, you know, (laughs) not saying that not everybody doesn't have issues, you know, because everybody does. But some people have a tougher time than others. And so really seeing it from that perspective that like I was given the opportunity to learn these lessons and also the belief that I chose this. Like, I I don't think we choose every single thing like, Oh, this is the address I'm going to have. But before we're in current in incarnated um, (laughs) before we're incarnated, I think there's like, like a checkbox or a checklist of like, okay, these are things I have to experience. These are, these are things I want to move forward with on my path. And like, there's a lot of trauma in prison. Like I, I know very few people who have been incarcerated who don't have vast amounts of childhood trauma, adult trauma, PTSD trauma, the list goes on and on. So if you put it into the context that it's an opportunity to move past it, to, to, to grow as individuals, to sit with it and learn to sit with ourselves. I I think that made it a lot easier and more effective than the, Oh, woe is me. Please forgive me of my sins approach because Mm -hmm. I didn't see it as a sin. You know, anything I did, I'm not proud of it. I'm not proud of anything I did to get me in prison, but I'm also not that person anymore. So I, I think like this idea that, oh, I'm a sinner and I'll always be a sinner. And that's just what it has to be. Like me forgiving me was more important than anybody else forgiving me. Right. Yeah, that makes complete sense. What you what you say that reminds me, like, even if people don't have a belief in reincarnation or their same sort of cycles. But what you said reminds me a lot of the book, Man's Search for Meaning, which was a Holocaust survivor. And in his book, he was very much into, you know, you even in these horrible situations, you have to have some sort of meaning or purpose internalized in order to make it through some of these events. 
Yeah, I, I think that's a really great observation. And I didn't know what my meaning or purpose was at the time. It wasn't until I got uh, my contract with Llewellyn to write this book that I was like, oh, my gosh, that's why I was in prison. That's my purpose. So to anybody who's listening who might recently be released, like it's okay to not know what your purpose is. And it's okay if your life purpose changes. It's not this thing that's written in stone. And if you don't accomplish it, you get an eternal damnation. It's, it's an ebb and flow. Like you're going to learn it in this life or you're going to learn it in the next one. I really appreciate that perspective of everybody being a work in progress. And I like how it's just this, I don't know. It really makes me feel good because something you mentioned earlier about not being who I was anymore, you know, and not having to live in that personage anymore. That's, that's huge. That's Mm -hmm. huge. No matter where you are in life. It's really freeing and empowering to know that even if I, if I tried my hardest, I couldn't be that person again, that that's changed. That's gross. I also like the, the thought that you put in there about purposes can change. I think that's really important. And it's something that I know a lot of people struggle with. And that could even be part of the struggle that leads you into trouble in the first place is I don't know what my purpose is. And I, I think that it's important for people to realize that in reality, lifetimes, even a single lifetime, you're going to have many purposes. You're going to have many moments that are meaningful either to yourself or to others. And it's okay to allow those to change. It's okay to facilitate that growth. That's an important part of what you're talking about. Like out of all this terrible stuff, what am I going to grow from? I think that's really important. Yeah, I think it is too, especially when you consider the mental health aspects and like all, all the reasons that you were starting to touch on earlier, why people go to prison, you know, and you could pick all those reasons apart, you know, lack of mental health, toxic societal impression, the the list could literally go on ad Mm -hmm. infinitum, you know, that doesn't matter. The reasons why you were in prison don't matter. Like I encourage everybody to leave that at the door. You know, if you have people and every time you hang out with them, you go to jail, you should probably not hang out with them. I don't care if you've known (laughs) them, like they're your twin, you guys were in the womb together. It doesn't matter. It it, it doesn't matter. And it's a lot easier said than done because Mm -hmm. we are social creatures, human beings we love connection and you know we want to have people and friends and things that we do and excitement and when you have this low view of yourself because i've yet to meet anybody who is in prison who is like oh my god i'm so amazing for being in prison um there's probably somebody but i never met them (laughs) so when you have people who already have this low self-esteem you know they're gonna they're gonna cling to what they know to what's familiar because it's really hard to believe that anything better exists. And th- yeah. that was, that was something I had to, I am still in the process of learning that, you know, all these years later, cause I'm not done growing. I'm not even close to done growing. So something that I, I catch a lot in a lot of spiritual circles is a lot of pablum around, Oh, things are going to get better. Things are going to get better. 
I think something that I'm hearing you touch on is that it's the difference is demonstrating to yourself on a continuous basis that you're doing better. And one of the things that you've emphasized so far in the conversation, and I appreciate this is like not being able to go back to who you were, like literally not being able to, and having that even as a kind of uh, like on a bike, you know, with that ratchet that keeps the wheel moving that forward momentum. Um, I'm glad you, you continuously reference that because it's really easy, like you said, to fall back into old ideas of who you used to be, especially if it's just familiar and, and treating yourself well is not. Yeah. And sometimes that comes from childhood, you know, sometimes it comes from adulthood, Some it comes from a lot of different places, but changing that mindset is vital and it doesn't happen overnight. Like, I wish I had, you know, the Harry Potter, the Harry Potter magic wand that I could <laughs> right? just like go through and like, you love yourself and you love yourself and everybody <laughs> loves themselves. But I, I think it wouldn't be appreciated as much if we didn't have to work for it. At least think, in my case, that was it. Yeah, I agree. I mean, it's one of the important lessons of what could be called shape shifting. And shape shifting isn't necessarily transforming yourself into an eagle or a wolf or something. It can be very much about changing who you are as a person. And that comes back to that that statement you made about who you hang out with, because it's not only just internalized but it's reinforced by the people around you. If I'm trying to transform into a different person, a person that isn't making the same mistakes, a lot of times the people around me, my family, my friends, whoever, they're invested in keeping me how I am, not letting me change because their worldview depends on me being that same person. And it's not something that they're doing with malicious intent. It's just how people are. And and so it becomes this mirror thing where, it gets reflected back and forth and back and forth. And that can make it really hard to change. That's something that a lot of people struggle with. Yeah. um, I I know a lot of people like that, actually. And like you said, it's not malicious. You know, your family members can love you a bunch, but they know you as Susie Q. And they've Mm -hmm. always known you as Susie Q. And to know you as Suzanne Q would just blow their mind. And they have no idea where you fit in their framework. And on one hand, uh, on one hand, that the people around us do influence us and impact us, but you can't let that be an excuse to not change. Right. You, I'm sorry, you, I didn't mean to cut you off there, but that, that uh, I, I was just no, agreeing. Yep. <laughs> no, that's okay. I, I think that was one of those serendipitous moments where, like, I, I stopped talking well, like at the same time. Uh, <laughs> you didn't cut me off at all. Um, but even even what we feed our minds, um, and I've had to do this a lot. Like I've noticed on um, certain social medias that shall remain nameless that I've been a little snarky and confrontational. And so I'm like, Hey, I don't want to feed myself this. And so I'm having to make a conscious effort to do other things. And the same could be said for TV, like the kind of TV you watch absolutely has an impact. Uh, Mm -hmm. (laughs) I see Sarah shaking his head. And like, if you watch news like 24 7 and nothing impacts. oh my god my mental health mm-hmm. improved so much cutting out cable news all right i would too. watch msnbc or cnn every day and it would just 
I'd be so keyed up by the end of the evening, I wouldn't be able to sleep. Yeah. And it, it impact, it feeds into your energy because everything is energy. Like every mm-hmm. single thing, thoughts, words, colors, the sky, plants, everything is just energy that seems to be still, but it's really vibrating. So when you're vibrating with all this screaming and yelling on TV and all this bad stuff is going on in the world and be scared and all, and it like, it weighs on you. Mm -hmm. That's what it feels like to be somebody freshly released from prison, by the way. Oh, really? Yeah. Because the prison environment even with all the workshops, it has this energy to it. You've got all these people, the vast majority of whom have trauma, a lot who have mental health issues that are untreated or undertreated mm-hmm. and you put them all in a safe space. And if you're in there for years, not connected to the world, you're just there in isolation with these other people. It, it changes how you view the world. And so like when you get out, it's almost like this shell shock, you know, like it's scary to walk out of the prison doors and be back in the world after being in and not knowing what to do. Oh, I hadn't thought about that, but now that you mentioned it, uh, a different podcast that I listened to, they had a story of someone that, was you know wrongfully convicted and they went to prison when there were still rotary phones and they get out in the age of smartphones. What a shell shock that holy had shit. I couldn't even imagine that. And I grew up in an analog childhood, you know, like I remember pay phones and having the phone numbers on your on your little notepad. You know, I, I remember that. And so I can't even imagine somebody who's never used Google. Like they go looking for a phone book, right? What? Well, that's an interesting. You know, I it just when when we're talking about that though, it makes me think about that. Uh, how unaware, it, you know, it's the old story about you you put a lobster in cold water and then turn on the heat. How many yeah. of us out in the outside don't realize what pressure we're constantly over because we've never had be able, we've never been away from it for a single yeah. moment. Yeah, we're lobsters boiling in that water. That's right. Wow. That's mm. kind of a scary thought. <laughs> <laughs> it really is. It's really, um, I, I'm speaking about it from the inside, from, from a guard's perspective. Um, and it's really, how to put it? Eh, screw it. I've said this at work. I can say <laughs> Um there is a marked difference between people that are part of the DHHS system and people that are part of the DOC, the Department of Health and Human Services versus corrections folks. There is a gulf. And a lot of the DHHS perspective, at least, again, working from the inside, from my perspective, it's how do we help? How do we transition you? How do we move you into a place where you can become this new person? And the, the, Corrections mindset is very punitive. Yeah. Very punitive. Like the, the, it says we're here for rehabilitation on the outside, but really I don't see it. And I say, say that as somebody that works in the system, I don't see it because the mentality that comes with corrections is, well, you've done bad and you're a bad person. And, and instead of I have done 
antisocial things, say, or I've done things that weren't good for me or for my loved ones, or, you know, instead of taking that moral judgment off, it's almost encouraged by the way the system works to put the pressure on even higher as though that's going to fix the issue. Well, it is going to make, make them more money in the long run though, because that's exactly it. If you don't give people the resources they need to succeed and you're just like, here you go. And you drop them into an environment that led them to incarceration in the first place. You can't really be surprised when they fail. Like just look at the basic things, right? You have to get a job. Okay. Understandable. Great. But you also have to have a job that's going to let you leave early for UAs, that's going to let you leave early for classes. Most people don't have a car, so you have to take the bus. In my circumstance, the county I was in, I was in that county because I lived on the north side of a street. And so it was a two-hour bus ride. So, And it was so it was two hours each way. Have to have a job, have to take these classes. You have to find a job that's going to let that's going to work around your schedule because you have to take your UAs by a certain time. You know, you have to take them by like five or 6 PM. Right. And you have to have a 10 PM curfew unless you get that extended. Um, And then you have to pay all this restitution. You have to pay for the UAs. You have to pay for a place to live and you're not the most hireable person in society. So like most most formerly incarcerated people are not going to get that big job as a CEO where they can just do that. You know, like we're talking about people like I made 1075 and th- this was years ago, granted, but I made 1075 and I was like, you know, I, I was lucky if I had 20 bucks left for the week after fines and UAs and paying rent and paying for a bus pass. And it it's in some areas, it's starting to get, a smidge better, but not enough because you still have to consider that when you go to rent an apartment, you have to rent from a private individual. Apartment complexes will not rent to felons. So already you're going to have to struggle for a place to live. Your, um, so your options go live with family because that works out so well. Most of the time, you know, go live with, um, the ex, the baby daddy, baby mama, you know, because once again, that'll work out really well. Or, you know, um, in my case, I was lucky that I found somebody who's a who's a private owner, but it wasn't right when I first got out. It wasn't until a few years ago. Like I had to call in favors to find a place to live. And not everybody's as fortunate as I was. I think if mm-hmm. I had to Oh, so pay full rent right when I got out. I think I would have gone back. And and then you you consider um, a lot of the people who are getting out need either long term or temporary mental health services. And yes, they can get those on on like Medicaid and things like that. But once again, you have to fit it into that work schedule. You know, there's all these hours in in a day and they give you this guide and they're like, here is your re-entry guide. Here's the felon friendly employers list. The felon friendly employers don't know they're on that list. Like, no. Oh, excellent. Yeah. I I went and I was like, oh, why are you asking me about a felony? You're on this list. They're like, oh, we didn't know we were on that list. And so the resources are outdated. 
and we're expecting people to get out thrive and you need to remember that a lot of people will just take average joe schmo right gets out of high school goes to college starts a job starts saving money blah 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 and goes along that path for somebody who's been incarcerated they have to start from this hole that they dug and so first they have to dig out of the hole and then by the time they dig out of their the hole there may be where somebody getting out of high school is that's maybe where they get lucky enough to start and it's it's a constant struggle and it gets it gets tiresome and it's easy to get burned out and it's a lot easier to go back to prison than it is to be on parole yeah i imagine yeah wow I know. So one of the things that I've become interested in in the last month or so is I discovered that here in the state of Michigan, because of the the pandemic, a lot of the court cases have gone virtual. And here in the state of Michigan, there are several, there's a couple of judges that all their stuff is streamed on a YouTube channel, which I, I thought was really fascinating. So yeah. I've been able to start watching that. And there is one judge in particular that I, that I like a lot. And he's been making sure that he sets up, he's rolling with it in the sense that um, realizing what a disadvantage that some people are at, he is specifically making it so they can do their probation appointments uh, through zoom meetings and things like that. So that way, he said he's told people straight up, you know, that, you know, if you can take your lunch break and go out to your car and log into to Zoom, you can you know, you'll be able to make your parole meetings and hearings that way. And so it's one of those things where, uh, you know, sometimes you got to look for a, any little grain of good that have come out of some of these situations. And that's one that I'm like, boy, if more courts do that, if more parole agencies are able to offer that to let people connect virtually so it eliminates so much of that travel time, that'd be just one less burden. It would make it so much easier. That's really incredible. Like props to that judge. You know, that's like, I can't even imagine how much easier that would have made things for me to just like, hey, here I am. And yep. yeah, it's like innovative change like that should be honored because I, I don't want to leave here and give people the impression that like the court systems are all bad and they're all out to get you, you know, but systemically, they're just set up in a certain way yeah, that exactly. is not beneficial. I mean, systemically. It is out to get you. Like, let's just, just call a spade a spade. The, okay. the system eats prisoners on the reg. It, it does. With a 78% mm-hmm. recidivism rate, it's yep. built to bring you back. It is. Yeah. But it, we do have people that are trying really hard to either abolish or reform the system. And just watching the effect that video court and video has had on our folks has been really cool because uh, the, again, the pandemic has been like, okay, well, there is no way in hell we can actually physically meet. And now what? So uh, uh, sometimes stuff that disability advocates have been barking at people to really pay attention to. Finally, now that (laughs) 
now that now it that impacts the, everybody else. Right. It's like uh, like those TV ads that people think, oh, that's just so goofy. Why, why do they have a problem picking up a bull? Well, it's because it's actually disability aid and this is how they're going to make money on it. Um, it's the same kind of things that disability advocates have been griping about for literally decades. Like, we have the tech to make this easier. Why aren't we? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry, it's those little change. It's those cool. little changes. I mean, I mean, the truth is, we need a huge systemic reform. Yes, you know, some of these are just basically band aids. Um, I'm thankful that some people have access to those band aids, but you know, it's a it's a huge systemic problem. I one of the things, and I, I wanted to. This is one of the ones I was struggling to connect together earlier in my head was. Um, I'm so happy that you found an embrace within the pagan community. And I think that's so important. One of my admittedly uh, um, guilty pleasures is I am one of those people that likes things like reality TV, knowing full well that it's not real, but hey, whatever. But I think I tend to watch it with a little different lens than some people. And I was recently watching um, oh, episodes of 60 Days In, which is, you know, the undercover people within a jail. Oh, ooh. And I was really struck because I, the message the producers, I think, were trying to put out was, you know, about the system and, and maybe how some of these people are really terrible people or something like that. But what I got out of it was remembering things I've read about how like a native American community is if someone does something terrible, a lot of times the community would come together and say, how have we failed you? What can we do better? Obviously there's something about you that needs healing and just that stark contrast between those two mindsets. So I'm really glad to hear that the pagan community was kind of able to embrace you a little bit and help you to, to feel some of that support and love. Yeah, and I, I think especially recently, um, like what when I first got out, it, it was not the first thing I told people. You know, when I had a high priestess, I wasn't like, hi, I'm a felon, you know, but eventually um, I, I did come forward. And what I heard was, oh, I wouldn't have imagined that, you know, because I had already started doing the work. And that kind of, it, it's kind of funny because I think, everybody assumes that if you've been to prison, you have like, you know, shaved head, like (laughs) face covered in tattoos. (laughs) I I do have tattoos by the way, but um, there's like a certain image and I'm guilty of it too. You know, if you Mm -hmm. start talking about uh, um, maximum security, federal prison, I get a certain image of the incarcerated population in my mind. So I'm guilty of it too, you know, and we see it. It's, it's, it's cultural. Like you always see the same kind of person when they go interview somebody in prison. And I actually, one of my cellies, and and I like telling this story because it it shows kind of like how close each of us are to a prison sentence. She um, was at a bar with her daughter guy tried to touch her daughter she broke a bottle stabbed him ended up with a prison sentence like that could happen to anybody and that's the important thing to remember is it's even though we try and treat it as as a hierarchy of like oh 
I would never do any of the things that got people in prison. You actually don't know that. Yeah. Until you're in some of those situations, you don't know. Yeah. And, um, yeah, I don't, sorry, I lost, <laughs> lost my train of thought. It happens. But oh, yeah. um, I, I was embraced by the pagan community. And I think it's happening even more now because mm-hmm. everybody who I've talked to about this book is like, oh, my gosh, we've needed this for so long. And um, the woman who wrote the foreword for my second book, um, her her name is Dodie Grandma K. Hey, shout out, Dodie. Um, <laughs> she actually... Um, gave me a huge compliment. She said that this was a sign of culture within the pagan community. You know, um, like we're starting to expand beyond, um, you know, books of like spells and working with deities. And like, this is something that's going to make a difference to our incarcerated brothers and sisters. And unfortunately, um, this will not make it into every prison because pagan books have a bad habit of disappearing, even in some of the more liberal states. Um, Sometimes it'll be chaplains. Sometimes it'll be um, those who are incarcerated and the books will end up in the trash or flushed or ripped up or destroyed. Um, You know, there's, that's another one of those cultural things that like, how do we fix that? You know, and I, I, I hope it's fixed in my lifetime. I would love to see the day when like chaplains of all different religions are like, Oh, you're a pagan inmate here. Let me give you this book. You know, I think this could really help you. That should be the bigger goal. And so I did um, before the pandemic, I took a year and a day course into the prison. I was once incarcerated at that's actually what yeah, that's what inspired this book. And some of my students are people who I was incarcerated with. And some of them recognized me and some of them didn't. But I was always open to any faith group. And that's not something you see in a lot of of the groups. You'll see, um, you'll see like, oh, well, you have to be Christian to attend this certain service, or you have to be this, this faith, or you have to identify this way to attend this group. And I really wanted it to be open, especially you touched on it earlier, that there's all sorts of different faiths that get lumped into pagan. And that's especially true in the prison system. Northwest European pagan is what it's called in my state. And it's if you're Norse, if you follow Greek pantheon, Egyptian, certain African faith system, if they don't know what to categorize you at, that's, that's what you get to be. Wow. And it's, it's better than nothing, but barely, you know, it's barely better than Mm -hmm. nothing. Mm -hmm. And so I would have all these, you know, I actually remember one of my favorites, um, one of my favorite Yules, I had them reenact the Holly King and the Oak King. And I will never forget those women enacting those two parts and being like, um, lo there, behold, I am the Holly King, like a rap <laughs> battle. And it was, it was amazing and genuine and really inspiring. And I would love to see more of that in the prisons because it's needed. Absolutely. Wow. That's really cool. 
It is. I really like that. <laughs> so, did you start discovering paganism while you were incarcerated or was that something afterwards? No, it was actually before. Um, okay. So I found my very first book. I still remember. I don't know how I wound up with this book, but it was <laughs> to ride a silver broomstick by silver Ravenwolf. And it just showed up one day. And I remember reading it and being like, Oh my gosh, other people believe what I've always believed. Cause I didn't know how to put it into words. And I th- thought I must be crazy for believing in the old gods. Like who believes in the old God? <laughs> and so this was about, this was about the time that, um, that like I first discovered drugs and alcohol and you know, that obviously led me to where it led me. And, um, but during that time, I, I knew I was pagan, but I was paying this lip service, you know, like I thought it was the tattoos that made me pagan. It was the bumper sticker. That's what made me pagan. You know, it was all these surface things. And so it was when I went to prison that I actually really connected. And what did it is I was on this thing called farm crew which is they load you up in a van and take you out to this field and you go and you pick pumpkins that weigh like 60 pounds or you weed acres and acres and acres. And I mean, you get a whopping dollar 50 a day. So I mean, yeah. Uh, but that aside, I did found that that's where I found the gods again, being out there, hands in the earth, sun shining down on my face I felt more connected than I had in years. And so even though that's not where my, my pagan spirituality started, being incarcerated is definitely where it, like, it, it took hold and it became something real and genuine for me. That's really awesome. I like that. Um, and so that was something that you kind of did. And through the process, then, is that something that grew and expanded through your incarceration? Or where would you say, I mean, is that something that's kind of blossomed and kept growing? Or, Well, so I wasn't incarcerated for a very, very long time, fortunately. Okay. Um, I was there just under a year. So, um, but um, the library had six, seven books on Wicca, paganism, things like that. And so anytime we were locked down or any day I didn't have to go work into the fields, I, I remember copying down you know, uh, color correspondences and names of deities and, you know, all the stuff that like when we're just trying to consume all this information early on. And I still have those books. I actually keep them right here on my table because they're a reminder of of where I started and where it became genuine for me. And then when I got out, it was almost like I couldn't not find a group. I was like, I need to keep going with this. This is not enough. Mm-hmm. I, I need more. I need, and I think I always knew that eventually high priestship was going to be in my cards, but I didn't think it was something achievable. You know, I was like, well, I, I got this, this year in a day course. And, and it's really weird looking back because um, I remember when I didn't know the stuff that was in this book. And, and so it's really humbling to be able 
to pass on this knowledge that has made such an impact in my life. That's really awesome. That is really neat. So uh, Paganism Prisoners, give us a, a little bit of an overview of what people could find in that book. Well, so even if you're not incarcerated, um, it contains 13 lessons. It's a year and a day course without tools. Because here's the thing. Um, I love my athame. I love my chalice. I love the pageantry and standing before you know, Freya and, you know, invoking the gods. And, but it's just pageantry. And so what you'll find in paganism for prisoners is a lot of introspective exercises. There's one of my favorite sections to write about was the clairsenses, like clairsentience and clairvoyance and how you can grow these, you know, just little exercises. You can be in your home without a single tool and you can work on, on building um, these other senses. And there's a lot in there. There's some on shadow work and I talk about the Sabbaths and it's all I, I think it's interesting that there's not a focus on tools in the books because that means that if you're 16, your parents don't know you're pagan and you're scared to tell them and you can't buy any tools because mom would freak if she found out, you can still have a pagan path that's deep and meaningful and spiritual and real and genuine. And so that's basically what this book is about is how to build that when you don't have Athame, when you don't, mm-hmm. you can't light 45 candles, you know, what do you do? Right. How do you connect? Yeah. And that, that's important, even no matter what your age, because some people just don't have the budget. Yeah. You don't have the space. You don't have, you know, access to certain things. So that, that can become really a big impediment to a lot of people. Or you're in the broom closet for any number of 50,000 right. reasons. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. I think it it also, I I really appreciate that because on on the one hand, as a prisoner, good luck getting anything, let alone tools for faith. Uh, Sometimes guards are even kind of on you having cutouts of paper of some of these things, uh, especially the Asame. Um, Yeah, just it. Especially in a prison, it makes total sense. And having to take all the aesthetics, all the bad, everything, and just strip it. Like, what's the core of this? Yeah. Yeah, and I think that's so much more important. I think I say in the introduction, um, there is actually one spell at the end of the book. But um, I think I say something to the effect of working on yourself and having spiritual growth will serve you way better than any spell will ever And I firmly believe that, you know, you could do all the spells for, you know, money or prosperity or relation, like whatever. You can do all those spells you want. But if you learn to be okay with yourself, oh, man. Oh, man, that's power. Huge, huge. Definitely. And then you said you were working on 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 do out in, what'd you say, November, I think, paganism on parole. And that's going to be a little bit different focus then? 
Yeah, it's um, it's a companion. So you don't have to mm -hmm. read Paganism for Prisoners to get a lot out of it. But um, there's chapters in there on mental health, on physical health, on spiritual health. There's um, spells for each chapter. There's how to talk to your parole officer about, That's hey, so exciting. please don't touch the stuff on my altar. And here's why. And um, yeah, there, there's a lot more spells in there. There's um, what else did I put in there? there there's a lot of good stuff. <laughs> oh, how to find community how to talk to your family, how to break ties with toxic people. These are all kinds of things that even if you're not on parole, who doesn't need to utilize this right. stuff? It, there's um, a cord cutting ceremony and shielding exercises. And it was just, it was a lot of fun to write because people who are on parole are effectively at the crossroads, which, um, Hecate rules over, you know, they're, they're at the crossroads. They're not free, but they're not still incarcerated. Essentially they're both. And that's a really precocious place to be because you have the ability to go back to either. And so it was based a lot off the lessons I had to learn um, the hard way, but thankfully not the too hard way when I was on parole. That's really exciting. I love that because, um, you know, Sarah and I have had conversations with a lot of different people. And, and um, this was even before Caitlin, our, our other co-host, had joined the show. And one of the ones that sticks in my mind was someone that was talking about uh, recovery from ayahuasca ceremonies. And although these are different topics in a lot of ways, the similarity that I feel the thread is that with so many really powerful rituals or events, a lot of what the pagan and neo-pagan community can be missing is the follow-up. It's not necessarily what happens to a ritual that's really important, but how do you follow up on it? That's important in this book. You know, that, that, that sounds like the perfect follow-up on how to talk to people, how to change that behavior and uh, the groups that you're with and everything else on the way out. That's so important. Yeah, I, I absolutely agree. And I, I love that you mentioned um, the recovery from ayahuasca, you know, none of my spells in my books have anything to do with alcohol. And not only not only because people are on parole, but I, I think a lot of people have this sense that you have to change your state of mind through marijuana or alcohol or other substances in order to do a lot of shamanic practices. And, and you don't. Um, I'm actually a, a student of the vulva stave. And so I've had to go. um into trance states and I, I do it sober. Yep. Exactly. And, and I don't miss out on anything for being sober. And, and then when you, you add into the fact that most people, I forget the exact statistic. I think it's something like 60% of people are in prison directly related for drugs. And then like another 20% are indirectly related to drugs that's a huge percentage of the community that probably shouldn't be getting high and drinking. Like, right. So right. I, I, I encourage recovery. Um, you know, I, I encourage people to not take shortcuts. 
I'm not a fan of shortcuts, like work on yourself. Like you mentioned earlier, the band-aids, like we have enough band-aids in society. We have plenty. <laughs> go numb out, go do this, go do that. Go, don't pay attention yep. to your life. Go, go do like, but work on you. And like, can you imagine if even half of the population and, and I don't mean incarcerated population, just half of the population really stepped into their power. If a quarter of the population really stepped into their power and did that shadow work and healed themselves and went on to do things that they never dreamed possible. Like, I don't think we would recognize the world anymore. Yeah. I, you know, I'd be curious and I, uh, what you and Sarah both would say about this, but I, it strikes me that if you could take the demographics, the people who are incarcerated, if you could, if you could address mental health on one aspect and on the other aspect, uh, recovery from trauma and PTSD, and even the people that didn't have a lot of direction, it'd be really amazing. Does it, I mean, like uh, a lot of the people I know that have been incarcerated, they are smart. They are smart people and they're able to see things and pick out things that I miss out on completely. They're really brilliant people. And a lot of times what was lacking is that mental health, that recovery, that direction and it's I we could just change so much if there was more resources available for that. Absolutely. And the amount of empaths, like really strong empaths in prison who had people who didn't believe them. Right. Just that little thing could have changed their life. Like, I do believe that ghosts are talking to you. I do believe you. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yep. Because I've been, um, so I, I was at my main prison, but there was one I, I went and did my intake in, and that place is absolutely haunted. And I've never been so glad in my life that ghosts don't speak to me. Like, it, you can feel it in the air. It, it's heavy and it's thick and like talented artists are in prison. Like you said, really intelligent people. And the problem with being a really intelligent person in a society that doesn't always appreciate intelligence it is that people try to make it seem like something less than they, instead of encouraging it and being like, you know what, maybe you can be an artist and we're going to send you to art school. We're going to support your dreams and we're going to see what you can make out of your life. Like you're never going to be an artist. Do you know what the odds are of making a living as an artist? Like I still, people tell me, do you know what the odds are of making a living as a writer? Like, why do you want to be a writer? Like, it's sickening. And with as much as I want to see us invest in mental health, in um, trauma, PTSD, um, all those recovery issues that you mentioned, I also think we need to address these issues before people go to prison. Oh, yeah, definitely. And, and we completely fail at that. So many people yeah. think if you go and you get mental health, you're, oh, what's wrong with you? Like, I'll be the first to say, 
I recently started therapy because sometimes you need somebody to talk to. Mm -hmm. There's nothing wrong with it. It's actually empowering to admit like, you know what? I would really appreciate somebody else's viewpoint in this. And I'm going to go and I'm going to seek that out because maybe I don't need to tackle the world all on my own. But we don't think like that in this society. Everything yeah. is such in a box and anything that's not in the box is scary. And that's why paganism is still so, so scary, but also draws so many people. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. I agree. I think mental health, I think, you know, we have to, I think just the word health should clue us in on how should we should be thinking about this. Like not everybody that's exercising is doing physical therapy because they're recovering for something. Some people are just like, hmm, I like to walk. I wonder if I can get faster at it. Oh, I, I think it, I'd be better if I could jog a little bit more, you know? So like, it's one of those things where it's personal growth. It's no stigma. It's just something that's going to try to make your life a little bit better. And you know why we, we have to view mental health in that same lens. Absolutely. We do. And I love that, that you brought up, that the key part about health, because disease is is a literal dis-ease of our body. It's a, a lack of ease. And um, I, I don't know if you know this. So I have a bachelor's of science in integrative healthcare. And I used to lovingly call that the hippie degree because it's where <laughs> allopathic and homeopathic medicine meets. And so there's this real strong F emphasis on Little things like changing your diet, and it doesn't mean you have to become a super vegan, but if you're eating McDonald's cheeseburgers six days a week, maybe cut it down to two. Maybe toss it <laughs> like small achievable goals. Uh, I remember when I got out of prison, I used to drink like the big, um, not the two liter, but like the one and a half liter of so I used to drink like so many of those and it was the worst of the sodas you probably know which one it's the one that glows green <laughs> and so when i wanted to stop that habit i didn't go cold turkey i was like i'll, I'll go smaller bottles and then i'll switch to soda and now um yeah. i i have my guilty pleasure i still drink like you know an occasional soda but i i drink more water than anything and if we put it into small bite-sized chunks it's more achievable for people if we just like, okay, you just need to fix your mental health. Oh my gosh. How overwhelming is that? But if you're like, Hey, yeah. how about we take this one little step? It's one, anybody can take one little step. All right. Sign me up. You know, it reminds me of a conversation we had about um, taking things from zero to a hundred and people learning to modify more. Um, and I think that, that that perspective of every step is a bit of an earned victory. That's a game changer because as long as I am doing something and that something can be resting, sleeping, reading, walking, journaling, it can be damn near anything under the sun. So long as it's to the point of, is this helping me as a person? Is this helping my community? And that's one of the things that I really appreciate about the, the pagan communities is that a lot of us have this focus on taking care of each other in some capacity and hospitality and 
invitation to join community is so present in so many different places. And I think that if folks really want to give the incarcerated among you an actual hand up, you need to reach out. You need to reach out early and often. Um, I, I know working where I do, I am the only person that the chaplain knows as pagan. I am the only person that's actually sat down and said, these are the resources that your, your folks need in the system. Um, and so I think that there's, there is onus on the communities to do their part, not just the individual incarcerated or uh, recently unincarcerated person. I think that, that there is a, a community responsibility to our people to provide ways and means of bringing folks, especially if, if they converted while in prison, that's a hard road. Um, and so we need to be better about providing a platform for people to come back into our communities after incarceration. We need to provide better services while people are in prison, of course, we, we need to address the whole milieu of, of people in our own communities. And I think that the, the prevention part is part of it as well. And I think that um, providing places for folks to come and be part in a sober, welcoming, inclusive community is one of the best ways that our communities can provide that groundswell of support. And it's a mutually reinforcing thing. I mean, my gods, the, the amount of people that have come to me and said, you know, we, we really needed this place. Like I, I'm thinking of our discord, even um, the amount of support that it gives to people and that they then reciprocate. Because mm-hmm. people, I think, uh, get fairness and uh, reciprocity on an almost instinctual level of I've given so that you can give, you give so I can give. And I think that our communities need to do a lot better in that regard. Because, um, you know, for a little while there, when I was a uh, gardenerian, uh, Wiccan, I almost got into becoming a uh, prison chaplain and it would have been really great, but there was a whole bunch of factors that came up and blocked me because of the uh, federal system being the way it is. Um, Long story short, a lot of the folks that are doing the prison chaplaincy work for our communities are getting older and they're aging out. And so folks who have that wherewithal really do within our communities need to step up now, even if you don't fully feel like, you know, Oh, I'm not an expert. Okay. But you're willing to do the work (laughs) and that's what needs doing. It's it's interesting. You mentioned that because one of my goals for this upcoming year is to have sort of a mini DOC pagan training course on my website, you know, just something um, amazing. Yeah, just something like, hey, here's some basic stuff you can teach. Like, you don't need to know everything. You're going to know more than them. And uh, 
what you said was really beautifully stated. We do need to do more in our community. And I actually applied to be a chaplain in my state. And um, I, I have no problem disclosing this because I'm, I'm a little bitter about it. Um, I went in, signed the paperwork, had my chaplain badge. And then they're like, oh, you didn't sign the right paperwork. I signed the paperwork that they gave me. You know, that they told me that I needed to sign. And, you know, so, and the only way that we're going to overcome this is if we have enough people that are like, no, 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 no. Pagans need representation. Like so many people are getting their um, freedom of religion rights violated right now. And, and COVID is the perfect excuse, right? Oh, we can let in the Christian chaplains, right? We can, we can let the, oh, but we're not taking on new chaplains right now. Oh, yeah, no, we couldn't possibly let you take a course in right now because, you know, because, of co you know, it's, it's bullshit. So I don't know if I'm allowed to swear on the show, but I just did. Oh, you yeah, are. we can fucking swear. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Oh, if I'd known that, fuck. Um. <sighs> well, I mean, I think it seems to me that even um, the people that aren't chaplains themselves, if you know somebody that is, make sure that they have your support. And even those people like myself were busy, we had a lot of stuff going on, a phone call or a letter, not an email, but a letter to public officials can get a lot of attention. Let them know. It doesn't have to be this big, huge rant, but just remind them there are people of my faith in the system what can we do to support them? Uh, I want you to make sure that they're within your awareness so it's not ignored. You know, that that stuff can add up so, so powerfully. Yeah. And can you imagine if we could get something done on, like, let's not think federal yet, but like local, you know, mm -hmm. maybe all, all the jails and all the prisons in your specific city and state are like, hey, no, we need to have representation. Like that's gonna ripple. Yep. Yep. I, I, yeah, I love I love that you said that because people are always asking me what to do, and I hadn't thought of writing a letter to an official. And so I'm gonna start recommending that to people. If nothing else, donate books. Donate mm -hmm. good books. Not written in. They cannot have any writing. Um, no nudity. I know there's a lot of pagan books nope. with nudity. They will not be allowed in. But yeah, books like, are everything. It, I mean, they really, I mean, honestly, they really are. Um, it's been one of the things that's been noted by the, the chaplain at my facility and the librarian is that they don't have good resources because a lot of the books that they have available to a lot of prison libraries are from the 80s. Yeah. Like these are damn near ancient by modern standards right. libraries. Like, what was what was out in the 80s what was out in the 90s i mean depending on what year i mean the ferrars I, yeah yeah i totally did not mean for this to happen i i did not steer the direction at all but i think if i were to put some thought behind it that perhaps there's this book called Paganism for Prisoners that might be an appropriate one for you to buy from a bookseller and donate it to Just your maybe. local jail or prison. It, it occurs to me <laughs> for some and reason that that might be a good thing. 
then it might be a good resource. Yeah. And <laughs> just be sure to check with the prisons because some mm-hmm. of them will only take donations if you buy directly from like Llewellyn or if you buy sure. from Amazon and yep. ship directly. Um, other prisons yep. have different rules, but just be sure to check because I, I would hate to have somebody get their book returned Ooh. because they tried to send it. Before I forget, you can also, in some cases, depending on what the particular prison's requirements are, sometimes one of the other things that we take for granted is jewelry. Yes. Representation, oh, like literal point. representation. Yeah. So one of the things I was able to do, partly because I'm in with the chaplain and also I knew what to look for because security told me what our sizes were for different stuff. I bought a couple of, of uh, pentacles and mjolnirs so that those are available. And the, uh, honestly, folks, like you don't have to break the bank to do this shit. Like the, the pentacle I found and the mjolnir I found were like maybe five, $10 each because they can't be very ornate. They can't yeah. have a monetary value above a certain point. And they also can't be used as a weapon. So they can't be too big and they can't be too small. But ironically, um, you can use any cross as a weapon. I'm just saying. No, you're you're <laughs> right? not wrong. But the uh, that's another thing that I think is often missed is um, a lot of our, our crafting uh, workshops have stuff like crosses as a default. They don't have a Mjolnir stamp for the leather workshop as a default. There's crosses all over the damn place, which isn't a problem. It's just reinforcing the notion that we have to really put our best foot forward in places that we're not actively thinking about because we're on the outside. And that was one of the things that the the chaplain brought to me was like, where do I find jewelry for these guys that's safe for this place? Mm. That's awesome. Yeah. So like, if you can get in good with a chaplain, like chaplains can open doors like crazy, like just folks just work just work with people where they're at. Right. It strikes me too, that that's one of those examples of the small steps, like just outside where I live here in Michigan, we've got a really huge prison. And for a lot of people, that's probably just way too intimidating. There's no, you know, to, to think I'm going to go in there and volunteer, or I'm going to do something that's way too much, but contacting the chaplain, making supplies available, or even on a smaller scale to a local, to the jail, as opposed to this massive prison. I mean, small steps add up. When I I do also want to take an opportunity to mention that prison volunteers are the safest people in prison. (laughs) Like it, it, like if, if something were to happen, like they would be protected because those programs matter, but e- even if you're not comfortable with that, that's, that's okay. It's okay. It's not everybody's cup of tea. And I mean, it was a little weird for me too, when I went back in like the first time and I'm like, Oh my God, are they going to let me out? You know, um, <laughs> I can't even imagine that had to have been hard. Right? Uh, it was, it was only scary the first time, <laughs> and, but um, yeah, because they put you in a room that's exactly like the cell that you spend all your time in. It's very surreal. But um, I, I do want people to know that like the, the horror stories that you see on like Orange is the New Black or like Locked Up, you know, stuff like that. It's not really a big concern for, for a prison volunteer, especially if it's like your state prison, 
minimum security, medium security, like they'll give you training for it. Um, I, I really don't want people to be scared because you can make a difference in the lives of, of all those people, you know, and I like to think that even though I haven't been allowed into a prison since COVID that some of my students got out and were a little better for it. You know, I don't know the course that their lives took, but I can tell you there is no better feeling than when you're talking about the gods or reincarnation or the cycle of the seasons or anything. And you see, you can actually see the light bulbs go off in their head. You can actually see that a connection has been made and that that spark is there and that you have ignited something. And, and you don't have to be somebody who's formerly incarcerated to give that spark. You know, I'm, I'm really advocating um, that especially, and I know I would have to look up who it is, but I know somebody on the East Coast is putting together a series of, of videos to basically go in during this pandemic time. And, you know, that that's another thing. You can coordinate with, with your chaplain. You can talk to the volunteer coordinator at the prison and be like, hey, I'd like to offer a single course on astrology. I'm an astrologer. Is this something we can do? You know, little drops. If, if we all put in these little drops, is, they're going to. Is that have... space where correspondence is good too? I wonder. Like, I wonder if, if, I don't know. You guys would know better than I do, but like, would a chaplain, if I had a P.O. box and I was like, if you have a, if you have a pagan prisoner that wants to write to somebody, here's the That's P.O. What box. That's what I was going to suggest. Them. Like, give P.O. box all the way. Don't give your home address. No, right, never right. No, address. but I'm just saying, like, I'm like, uh, you know, in, in, especially during the pandemic, I'm thinking that if I was incarcerated, just having somebody I know I could write these questions and these thoughts out to, and they could they could reference the books and say, yeah, this is what I found out, or this is what I know. That'd be huge. Letters are like gold in prison. I've seen people go months without getting a single letter. And it's, you feel forgotten when you're in prison. So yeah, this is um, a, a great way in your local community. And you can set those those boundaries for yourself. Be like, I'm only going to answer questions about astrology and like um you know the the trainings that they offer make it scary they're like games offenders play you know like don't let them ask you for money you know and and yes there are some people in prison who will do that stuff i'm not trying to say like everybody in prison is a saint you know (laughs) because yeah i get you i did my crime like i'm guilty like i you know i i did that but But there's also people who like with a little bit of direction, they can go so far. Just just a little bit of like, oh my God, I got a letter. Somebody cares if I live or die today. Right. That can be huge. I was just looking and I think it's a real pity that unfortunately Witchbox shut down in 2019 because that used to be one of the big ways to find People, groups, and there was, uh, if I remember right, on the old website, there used to be a, par- a forum area 
where incarcerated folks could forward their information and people could pick it up and develop correspondences. Oh, yeah. Well, luckily, I have included this handy-dandy resource guide. Oh, you're awesome. Nice. In the back of my book, um, yeah, there's like writeaprisoner.com, which is a, a website where you can basically, you know, um, find somebody who's incarcerated and start writing them letters. Um, so that's a good resource. Um, you know, there's the Order of Bards, Ovates, and Druids. Um, they offer a free course in Druidry for people who are incarcerated. Like, there's a lot of resources in in this nice. book. You know, so they're they're not they're not all alone. Like, we we do need more resources, but there's some stuff in here that can get them started. And both inside the the U.S., outside the U.S. Um, so anybody who wants to, um, you know, get involved, there's a whole bunch of organizations. You can, what can I do to help you guys? That's awesome. That's really a cool. And yeah, I, it's great. Just for grins. I actually went to writerprisoner.com and, uh, the cool thing is there's a drop down menu. So if you want to look specifically for pagan and Wiccan folks, there are those search terms you can look for. Oh, see, I didn't even know that. That's really cool. Yeah. It's really awesome. Yeah, like I actually just queued it up and there was a ton of prisoners that just popped up on my, my search feed. So like this is an, one of many excellent resources you've pointed out that people can just be helpful and be available. I mean, yeah, it, maybe an afternoon's worth of writing and you can make somebody's entire month. Holy shit, guys. I know when I would get a letter in prison, like I would read it over and over and over. And, like it just meant so much. And I think I only got like two or three the whole time I was there. But it meant that my time got to be a, a little a little easier. Mm-hmm. And And for anybody who like when I said that was like, oh, well, you shouldn't have it easy because you were incarcerated. You don't know. You, you don't know what it's like to be incarcerated. Like that's not helpful to anybody. Okay. Save that. Okay. If you have like your serial killers, like your John Wayne Gacy, whatever. Okay. Maybe he can go to prison, but like for the vast majority of people and like, we're seeing a lot of women, like women are growing exponentially making up the incarcerated population. Mm-hmm. And a lot of that has to do with codependency. And so when you consider, for example, a single mother who, you know, for whatever reason, the baby daddy went out and did something and, you know, he's no longer in the picture. And like, you have young kids, you have no support. You have to feed those babies, but you also have to pay for daycare, which takes your whole check. It's really tempting to be like, maybe I'll resort to drugs. I'll just sell some drugs. Maybe I'll mm-hmm. resort to prostitution. Maybe, you know, I'll resort to all these things. Like, I get so mad when people are like, oh, well, they should just get a better job. Okay. Are you going to cover their childcare? You're going to pay for their education right. expenses? <laughs> no, right? shit. Like, is that what you're going to do? Are you going to help them in that way? If not, shut up. Because it's not always just like this. Like, nobody ever woke up mm-hmm. and was like, you know what? I'm going to be a felon when I grow up. I want to have six <laughs> That's what I said, felonies. that fourth grade. Yeah. <laughs> fourth grade, two years. Yeah. 
Yeah, choose your career. I'm going to be a multiple felon. <laughs> and, like, and if a kid ever did answer that, then... <laughs> you you got to look at their living situation in that case. Right. But right. Yeah, it's... And I just... Like, my one goal for my book is that if, if even one person reads it and changes their life and does not go back to prison... It's a success. Mm -hmm. Like that's the whole motivation I had for writing this book was I didn't go to, I didn't go back to prison. You don't have to either. And, and so I tried to keep that my, my primary focus and like including those resources. It was actually a lot more than I thought existed. You know, that's Um, great. Yeah, it's like six or seven pages in the back of the book of just holy shit. That's yeah. amazing. That's great because that's the that's the one thing a lot of folks would be like, I have no idea where to start. Like, okay, yeah, that's not an excuse any longer. <laughs> well, and I even, um, you know, for inclusivity, mm-hmm. I included like some Buddhism, hin- Hinduism, mindfulness. It, there's a couple of correspondence courses in here. There's stuff that doesn't relate to paganism at all, just like some basic reentry stuff and like ACLU. Like, well, that's good know, though because, like, like you said, so many people get lumped into paganism anyway in prison. I mean, because yeah. like ATR folks and Hindus got lumped in right with you. Yeah, and um, I think just after I left. Um, People who uh, practice the Native American fa- pass, I think they got separated out. But like there was a point, like it was all just like, oh, you're not Christian, you're not Jewish, okay, you're pe-. like, you know. Right. Like, <laughs> I mean, we'll take them. You know, you're welcome to join us. Like I got a spot for you in circle, but um, it, it's really, it's really limiting, you know. And there, there is stigma for pagan prisoners. Like a lot of people mm-hmm. are scared to admit it. And, mm-hmm. and, and then a lot of people do it because you can get a vegan meal if you say you're pagan, you know, <laughs> but um, <laughs> priorities, right? I mean, food matters when you're, when you're locked up, right. but mm-hmm. <laughs> for, for those people who, who are um, like, I'll give you a perfect example. There's one specific Christian group that goes in to prisons and they will have just like food and cakes and they bring in pizzas and soft drinks and like that's that's really tempting mm-hmm. when you're incarcerated and holy shit that's underhanded though right right like come join us we have we have pizza and i never brought food in well i i did one time for ritual and like i got special permission and all that but like Paganism can offer them more than pizza. And, and I think that the people that came, some only came for one and like some showed up mm-hmm. and like were really thirst, wanted the information, you know, and a couple of times they missed out on pizza to be that's huge in my group. Mm-hmm. And that, that says a lot about how important spirituality is. Because yeah. for those of you who don't know, soda and pizza are not a thing in DOC. No, they are not. <laughs> they are not. <laughs> no. And even in our facility, those are very closely watched, guarded, inventoried, the whole nine. Because, yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Even if you can, you can buy 
like even even if you have tokens and and you can buy soda, it's like like when people make the choice, yeah, yeah, for spirituality instead of cake. Right, that's big. So huge. And like I was tempted a few times. I I never went to those when I when I was incarcerated. I like outright refused, you know. And that that takes a lot of willpower for somebody to be like, I'm not gonna go eat your pizza. Yep. <laughs> I I get it. I do. <laughs> <laughs> the so things that motivate us. Go ahead, brother. Sorry. I have a question, and since you've been on both sides of the equation, and community has been so important. Um, and let me see if I can thread the needle with this question here. And I'm not asking for a definitive answer, just any thoughts or advice that you might have. There is a balance. As you said, some people, they aren't saints and they have done these crimes, but community is really important. Any advice or insight that you could offer on how to balance the needs of the people that are leaving incarceration versus the safety of the community they're entering, any advice for that community, any advice for the the people that are trying to enter it, anything that you might have as an insight there that might be helpful. Well, first of all, remember, like, you meet felons every day. Very true. They bag your groceries, they sweep your floors, they cut your hair, they do all these things. And like, it's never really a thought like, oh, is this person gonna gonna hurt me if I go get my hair cut? So my best advice would be, you have to decide your own comfort level, right? If you find out somebody is was incarcerated, and you don't want them in, in, in your home, that's sad, but that's your decision. You know, that's, you have to do what you're comfortable with and you have a right to make that decision. Like, you know, I'm, I'm a strong advocate for, um, for felons, but like we made mistakes. We get it. Um, on a community level, you're probably never going to know unless somebody tells you that they were a felon. So like you've, might have been in circle with people who have been incarcerated and until you get to know them, they won't let you know. And my, my other piece of advice would be like people who aren't genuine in the faith will fizzle out you know, there's, this isn't just you pray on Sunday and you're good for a week. There's a lot of work that goes into being pagan and people who aren't genuine to the faith, they'll eventually leave. Well, eventually fizzle themselves out. So um, and so if you do meet somebody and they give you a bad vibe, listen to that vibe. And that doesn't matter if they're a felon or not. You know, some of the creepiest people I've, I've met have been like devout, you know, longstanding members of, of the community. Like, yeah, I, I'd say basic. Yeah. Yeah. Basic case by case. Like, try not to lump us all together. I love that. That was the perfect answer. Thank you for that. You're welcome. I think the only caveat I'd give is if a given member self-reports that they have a history of child molestation, that is a whole different ball of wax from this conversation. Yes. 
Yes. Um, Cause there's federal and state guidelines for that kind of stuff. And you yeah. need to pay attention to those, but that being said, yeah, perfect answer. But I, it, it, I, I agree with that completely, but I will say usually those people give off a very creepy energy. Yeah. So, like it's one of, even if they don't tell you, you'd probably be like, I don't want that person near my kids. Like, listen to that. You know, same thing with like people who have done abhorrent crimes. Like they usually give off a certain type of energy. But absolutely, when it comes to like, um, and not just child molestation, but like elder abuse, yep. it is another one you should pay close attention to. Um, things of that nature. But like, you'll know. You'll feel it. And well, I, I think. think- even go in your conversation, your, your point about some of the creepiest people that I know that have been in some pagan yes. circles. We have, I can have a blind sort of faith to some aspects of my spirituality. That doesn't mean I have to have a blind faith in everybody that I circle with. Exactly. <laughs> Keep your wits about you. If you right. see something that's going on, report it to the right authorities. Don't cover stuff up. And actually, even that transparency, like, <sighs> I can understand why someone who was incarcerated might not want to tell me if they're getting ready to circle with me. At the same point in time, I've had the experience of people who either have been incarcerated or they're recovering from addictions. And I so appreciate when they tell me up front because I'll, I'll change and modify every ritual or thing I'm going to do to make sure that it's a safe place for them. I think one of the easiest things to do is make sure that if, if, in the case of heathenry, if you're going to have a stumble, Make sure there's two horns, one with if you, one with alcohol, one without. Always have that option. If nothing yeah. else, if nobody drinks the apple juice, that's fine. You can pour it out for the gods. That's that's a really good point, and I, I appreciate it when I go to a circle, and they they have an alternate beverage, and like I I'm to the point now where I'll be like, excuse me, do you have an alternate beverage? You know, but not everybody's there. That's intimidating. That's hard for a lot of folks. Mm -hmm. Especially if it's your first time there and you want to fit in and you want people to like you and you want to do things right. You want the gods to accept you. And oh my God, this is my first circle. Like, like, I think that's why a lot of people don't, you know, disclose. It's, it's, it's not like disclosing like, Oh, one of my feet is bigger than the other. Like, Oh, you know, like this is <laughs> right. Right. You, this is like, Hey, I did time I, for serious crime. Like that's tough to say to somebody. It is. Absolutely. It is the, the, the strange part that probably that people don't think about and even, even I could be likely to gloss this over sometimes is the judgment isn't just on the formerly incarcerated person or the person that had addiction issues. The judgment is on that group as well. If you are that person that is coming out of one of those situations, if that group reacts bad to you, that's a flag too. You have to watch out for the quality of people, as we discussed earlier, that you're going to associate with. And if there's a group that can't make any sort of accommodations or is really judgmental or something that, Ooh, that's a red flag as well. You don't need that. Yeah. I, I talk about that in paganism on parole. Like if you go to a group and they're like, you have to pay money, you have to be naked. You have to do this. You have to do that. That's not the group for you. There's right. other groups. I promise. Get the fuck exactly. out. Yep. <laughs> red flags. Yep. Exactly. Um, you know, honestly, like I think, 
for a lot of this, what it boils down to for me is being a human that hospitality is a two way fucking street people. It yeah. cannot just be on the formerly incarcerated to be the good neighbor. You have to be the good neighbor too. Like, yeah. and this is where I see a lot of our communities really need to make a good faith effort, pardon the pun, um, to really make an actually welcoming atmosphere for folks coming into our spaces, coming into our rituals. It's not enough to say we're going to be inclusive. You actually have to be inclusive. Yeah. Yeah. As, and uh, I, oh, um, I, I was going to say, I, I, I throw out there once in a while, just a little one to include you is um, so many pagans now are into ancestor worship. <laughs> you can use those ancestors sometimes as an excuse too. like, I don't have to say that I was an alcoholic. I can say because my deceased father was an alcoholic. That's why I don't want to have an alcoholic beverage. Those they can just say it. they can be useful that way. That ancestor work. It can. I, I think you hit on an interesting point though, because alcohol is the one drug where like, if you tell people you don't drink, they ask why, like nobody asks why you don't smoke crack. Like, like, oh, you don't know. smoke, you don't smoke crack, but like, if you don't drink <laughs> alcohol, they're like, why, what's wrong? Why don't you do that? So like, if somebody says, no, I don't drink like that should be good enough. Like you don't need to yeah, know. It is. Why. Yep. Yeah. I was just going simply from a, sometimes it's hard to say that stuff out loud. It's hard to say. Yeah. Like you said, it's hard to say, well, I don't drink or I don't like alcohol or I, I, you know, so like sometimes having those little. Put it on the ancestors. Things in there. Yeah. Sometimes that can be helpful to take some of the social pressure off. Yeah. My my dad, I saw what alcohol did to my dad. So I don't want to partake, you know, like, yeah, it's. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. Because we all know peer pressure is a bitch. Oh, it really is. And <laughs> I, I remember how nervous I was as, as a new pagan, you know, finding, oh, I finally found paganism. What if I mess up and they kick me out? You know, and it's a real fear, like when you're new. And on the other side, though, I'm seeing a lot of like, oh, well, I can just do whatever I want as a pagan. And I'm like, OK, well, Technically, you're right, but if you want advice, like, you know, that it, there's a fine yes. line. I, I, I think we're, there's like a pendulum swinging between like. Violently. <laughs> violently. Like, so some of the people who, it, you mentioned this earlier, some of the people who do prison ministry are, are getting older and we're not seeing this real thirst with like the, the, the younger people to be like, hey please give me your wisdom. They're like, I saw this on TikTok. Like, if, and, and I, I try to be, I, I try to be really open. I, I do have some pet peeves that I'm not going to go into, you know, um, but it's okay to not know everything, especially starting off. And it's okay. Like, um, you know, if you ask for feedback and somebody gives you feedback and you don't agree with that feedback, it's okay. Like, it, it, it's not a personal attack, you know, but some of us have been doing this a long time. And so, you know, if we tell you things like fairies aren't cute, you probably shouldn't invite them into your house. Like, you might want to listen to that, like, or don't, 
Or not. No. <laughs> or not. A, I mean, that is a choice. <laughs> it's not a good choice to me, but you know, you do you. It, I mean, when your stuff starts flying off the shelves, uh, you come home and something's mysteriously broken. Like, don't say I didn't tell tell you so. But I really want, um, I I really want people to like take the opportunity to learn. Like, even though, um. Even though I'm a high priestess, I'm like, you know what? I, I want to learn more. So I'm learning about, about the vulva tradition, you know? And then after I spend years learning about that, I'll, I'll learn about something else. Right. And this is how we incorporate all of this into our past and into our faith. And, and there's, there's a mixture in paganism for prisoners. Because the tough thing about writing a book for pagans is being inclusive you know, and having, you know, Greek gods and Norse gods and Roman gods, but still explaining that they're not exactly the same thing and they're different. And like writing books for pagans as a whole it is a very fine line and a very tricky <laughs> progress because a lot of what I have in here is witchcraft, right? Mm -hmm. And and witchcraft isn't necessarily paganism, you know, depending on who you ask, you'll get a thousand different answers. So you know, I encourage people to learn. And, and, and when I say learn, I don't mean like Google till you find the answer you're looking for. That's not what I mean. <laughs> <laughs> I, I mean, like, <laughs> dad, get a little close to home there. <laughs> I just go on, I just go on TikTok and ask. That's all. <laughs> it's even better. And, and there are some videos from what I've heard. I don't have TikTok, but I, there are some videos I've heard that are actually like really helpful, you know, there are, there are, mm -hmm. and, oh, yes. and, and, but just put everything through your bullshit filter. Right. Yes. And, and your bullshit filter gets more defined. The more you learn, the more you read, the more you well, meditate, the more you practice. Two things I consider the gold standard from people that you're learning from is their ability to either explain to you why, like if I were to say it's bad to invite fairies into your house, I should be able to tell you why. Yes. Mm -hmm. Or if uh, if uh, someone that you're learning from can genuinely look at you and say, you know what? I don't know the answer either. Let's go find out. Yeah. Those are like the gold standards. Those yeah. are. Yeah. I agree with that completely. Because, you know, nobody knows everything. And the thing about, spirituality especially with paganism and witchcraft is they're they're so formed by the person that holds the beliefs and so what can be absolutely true for me is not necessarily for you and so that's where a lot of that give and take comes from that's where it falls into the areas of reciprocity and learning and that sort of thing and you know, even in your rituals, if you're joining a new group, their style of ritual might be very different from yours. And there's compromise and there's learning and there's all this other stuff. So it is, I can imagine, hugely challenging to write a book that covers this vast umbrella. Yeah, like cover, write a book for all pagans. <laughs> <laughs> I, I love the idea of reciprocity. It's, um, so I'm primarily heathen in my practice, you know, although if I need to work with um, Poseidon, you know, I'll work with Poseidon, but um, primarily I focus on, on heathen traditions and that welcoming of people 
into your home, except I think if I'm not mistaken during the 12 days of Yule, cause you don't answer your door. But other than that, like if somebody comes to your home and they're hungry, you feed them. If somebody comes to your home and you're, and they're thirsty, you, you give them a, a drink. And I, I think our society has become so suspicious and angry and sick in so many ways because you can't trust anybody. Oh, your neighbor's going to give you COVID. They're going to steal your car. They're going to do this. They're going to do that. You better be watching all the time. And when you send that out, you, that's all you notice. That's all you see. And, um, like I have a, a friend of mine, um, me and her were driving and this guy was pushing this cart up this hill on dirt and nobody was stopping to help this guy. And I'll be honest, at first we were laughing because we're human, right? We're not perfect. But as, as we circled back around, like we noticed his real struggle and we stopped and helped. So here are two women, right? Two women helping this guy pull this cart up the hill. And it, it's not made more amazing because we're women. It, it's made more amazing because nobody else would have stopped. What he had been trying to do for an hour, we helped him finish in 10 minutes. And I think once we start getting over this fear, and this goes back to incarcerated individuals, you can be terrified of somebody with a felony. You have that right, if that's how you want to feel. But I know some incredible people who happen to have multiple felonies. And because they've experienced those felonies, they have this motivation to change that a lot of people don't get. Like if you go through life and your life is good, right? You like, you've got the job, you go to Hawaii twice a year. You get, what motivation do you have to really drastically improve your life? But if you've been in a prison cell, you have motivation to do something different. You just need to know that you can so I, I love the idea of hospitality. It's um, and, and I want to see it. I would love to see it between face, too, because with, with as much as like, you know, I, I get my chuckle at Christians. I do. I do. My brother's a Christian. So it's a, his kids are Christian. I love them, you know, like. But there, there's there's more similarities, like at the core when you get down to it, you know, be good to other people. Okay. Like you can appreciate that no matter what faith you're at, you know, don't, um, I don't remember what all of them are, but I have a section in paganism on parole where I talk about morals and ethics. And, um, my editor actually recommended that I put some of the 10 commandments in there, not to persuade people to Christianity, but to show that like, there's similarities. You, you can look for differences all day long, or you can start looking for similarities and get over the drama. And that's what I want people to do. Look at the similarities between the formerly incarcerated people who come into your circle. That's beautiful. I think that's a good leaving off point. I think that's a good <laughs> final thought, unless you have anything else that you want to ask about, Sarah. No, I think that was beautifully that, put. That's thank beautifully you. put. Yeah, thank that's you. Wonderful. Well, thank you so much for joining us. This has been really good. I think we can really get some of these topics pretty in depth. I like it. I'm, I'm I, excited. It's fun. 
yeah, I, I'm, I'm looking forward to, uh, to getting this interview out and, um, I hope people do pick up the book because it, it's got books, both plural when they're both out. It sounds like there's a lot in it for everybody. And I'm, I'm really excited to see if we can encourage people to start reaching out and making some donations or writing some letters and, and being a little more proactive and getting this next generation of, of helpers going. Yeah. Yeah. We, we need them. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. Well, thank you so much. Thanks for joining us around the fire. Oh, thank you so much.
Until 